Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic. Berto Wilt, your host. Thank you so kind of bringing a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Today on the House, we have voting at home, right? It, it, it's a new, it's a group that is trying to make what's going on in Argonne, where everybody votes by mail, to do it through the entire country. She has some interesting information. That is Barbara, the woman that I'm interviewing, that I think you guys are going to love. Then we're going to also talk about a CNBC host who accuses the union of class warfare. I mean, this is astounding. Then, of course, the other thing that we have is that it turns out 82% of Americans, 82% of Americans don't want Social Security cuts. And thus, it means even a supermajority likely of Republicans or in the bag for having exactly what we need, and that is a better safety a safety net. So uh, let's see who are we? Who do we have? The first person that came in today for the first time, <clears throat> Bruce Pollard. How you doing, Bruce? My brother. He says early catching the worm. You come early, you're going to catch the worm. Bridge MCP says hi y'all. E two two four seven says. 13.8 billion years we patiently waited for this visit here today. Egberto, thanks for your pulling us relatives together to move into greater complexity and consciousness. I love you, E2247. I love the way you articulate those words over and over again. Bridge MCP says, hola, peeps. Michael Rodden says, kittens are playful today. That means you're happy. They are sensing your mood. Our resident is conservative. Our wonderful Lee Grant is here. How are you doing, Brother Grant? As well as May Wood, who says, there it was. May Wood is in the house. And Bridge MCP, the one and only Bridge MCP, the one who keeps our YouTube channel clean. YouTube channel clean. Anyway, folks, without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to Barbara Smith-Warner. I think you're going to like it. Let's go ahead and play that now, and then we'll return with the other stuff. Here we go. Welcome to one of more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host, sitting here with Barbara Smith-Warner, who is the executive director of National Vote at Home Institute. When I saw that name, I kind of got the butterflies. And you know why? Because anything that we can do to increase the vote is what we've got to do if we're going to really have an inclusive, yes. uh, complete democracy. So, yes. bada bada, welcome to Politics ah. Done Right. How are you doing Such this morning? Such a pleasure. I am doing so well. I'm thrilled to be here. I, You just went straight to the heart of what Vote at Home is about and why I do this work. It is small d democracy. Right. Voting at home, which is when every registered voter is automatically mailed a ballot uh -huh. to their home two to three weeks ahead right. uh, for every election. Uh -huh. They have time to fill it in. They can return it in any number of ways. Right. You can mail it. You can drop, put it in a drop box. You can take it to an election center and, and vote in person there. And then if something's wrong, you are contacted. You get to cure your ballot. You get you, There's a tracking system so you know when your ballot has been received and when it has been counted. It is... Small D democracy, it is the baseline of voter enfranchisement. Everything that you think of when you hear about making it harder for people to vote, the lines, everything, it is all solved by voting at home. And I'm from Oregon, where we have been voting at home since the year 2000. We're going on 24 years of every voter getting mailed out a ballot 
every election. Now, has there been uh, not not at all the, the, the lies of the land are, is uh, are about us having voter fraud, etc. Is there any cases of voter fraud resulting from your system in Oregon? It right is uh, infinitesimally small. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to quote the Heritage Institute because mm -hmm. the Heritage Institute, a very, Institute, conservative, a very conservative group, did a did a study on trying to find an in the I think they did in 2020. So there's been a couple elections since then. Right. But of the we think about 50 million ballots right. that were cast in that time, I believe there were a total of 18 uh, that were found to be fraudulent in some way. Right. All were caught. Uh, and if you figure out the percentage, it's very tiny. And none of them it's had to do with the fact that it was voting at home. It, would have it was other anyway. things. Yeah. Correct. So, yeah, there's so much. There's built in security mm -hmm. to voting at home that you might not think about if right. you don't do it all the time. Right. right. So you get uh, you get one ballot that is for you. It's got the kind of it's like a piece of mail. Right. right. It's got the coding on it. Uh -huh. You when you submit it, you have to sign it right. and they compare your signature to make sure that it's you. If there's a difference in your signature, it's not, oh, too bad. It's you get contacted to right. say, hey, we have a concern about your signature. It doesn't quite match. You can come in. You can show your ID. There's a whole variety of ways. Um, but you have ideally in the are what we consider best practice mm -hmm. is you have up to a week after election day to cure your, to ballot. Cure your ballot. That's exactly right. No. And the biggest thing I just because yeah. I, I, I was talking to somebody about this before and somehow this didn't come up. The, in, the impact on turnout uh -huh. is amazing. Of course. Right. So I have a friend who talked about his friction and the more friction you have in a voting system, right. the fewer people are going to vote, the harder it's going to be, all right. that. Voting at home takes away so much of that friction. And in, as a result, more people vote. We saw it in 2020. Right. Not only was, I mean, turnout was up over like significantly. Because people could stay at home. That is exactly and right. mail in their ballots. Yes. And, and, you know, more people vote. You get what the democracy really wants. That's I mean, right. after all, That's right. if you take a look at the stats, what you find is that in America, in, in as much as you have the media and others trying to say this is a center right country, the reality is this country is not center. This country is not center left. This country is a very progressive country yes. in the policies right. that the people not that we say they want. No, in the policies who say promote. they say That's that right. they want. So Agreed. what you are doing with uh, with the uh, let me vote get the home. name right. Yeah. With the vote it's at home, home Institute. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's very important. Let me ask you this. How are you approaching this? Do you want this to be something that's done state by state or yes. do you want it to be a federal? Uh, so, well, there's there's two. Uh, uh, full disclosure, there are there have been some bills introduced right. uh, in Congress. Our Oregon senators, uh, Senator Ron Wyden, right. Senator Jeff Merkley, very <laughs> in support right. of this, obviously, because we've been doing it for years. Sure. And that's great. And we are supportive of that conceptually. But the reality is the way that we run elections in this country is we run it state by state. There are 51 different election centers right. for each state and D.C. and then even getting into the, the territories and, right. such, and such as well. And so because that's where election laws and regulations and standards are done, that's where we focus right now. It might surprise you to know mm -hmm. that. Well, no, let me let me do it this way. How many states do you think like vote, vote at home? How many states do you if think I it even is? guess I would be lying. So what? Yeah. Tell me. Eight. 
eight oh, states they, and you know the District are? of Columbia. I do. The, the reason I ask you that, when right. I started this job, right. I thought there were three or four because I'm from Oregon. I've been right. there for a long time. I'm a former legislator. I was just paying attention right. to Oregon. Oh, you were a former so legislator. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I was a legislator in Oregon for nine years, majority nice. leader for the last couple of years. And you, great, great job. Wait, Loved uh, it. Are you still in legislature? No. Or you're, you're nope. right now? Okay. Uh, this was, I decided I had had a great run, got a lot of important uh, policy and done. And you were the majority and, uh, leader as well? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Really fun. Through the, through Why the don't I know pandemic. That? You know, because you don't live in Oregon. That, I guess so. So that yeah. is a good excuse. Yeah, it's right, a fine okay. excuse. So when I started, I thought, oh, yeah, a couple states. So Washington, Oregon, California, Hawaii, uh -huh. Nevada, uh, Utah, Colorado, Vermont, and D.C. are wow. all voted home states. Wow. So we've 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 made significant progress. Five years ago, mm -hmm. there were only three states. Now there are eight in the District of Columbia. So what we work on is we kind of categorize. If you go to our website, mm -hmm. votedhome.org. Say it again. Voteathome.org. Uh -huh. Thanks for slowing me down. Um, there is we have uh, what we call our scorecard, mm -hmm. and it's called how vote at home friendly is your state. Right. And there's a map. You can click on your state and you can find out how voted home friendly is right, your state right. because there's a lot of things you can do. It's not you're either voted home or you're not. Right. There's a whole bunch of things in between uh, here in Illinois. They kind of have what we consider the second, the, the next best thing mm -hmm. to voting at home is a single sign up system. Okay. So here in Illinois, if you want to get, if you want to vote at home, mm -hmm. you can, there's no excuse needed. You don't have to do it for any reason. You just say, yeah, I want to vote at home and you can sign up. Do a single sign up so that every election you automatically get it. So, so every voter in Illinois can sign yeah. up one time and get every get their ballot at home every time. Nice. Next step down is um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we had some secretaries of state here the other day, and they mm -hmm. kind of they they covered the range. Um, the next step down is a state is a, so sorry. Going back to the single sign up states, mm -hmm. there's about ten of those. Right. So eight and DC. So wait, let me see if I understand yeah. this. Yeah. Ten single sign up state meaning yes. if you sign up, you can vote from home every year, every but, election. So the the basic mechanism for voting from home it's is there. in at least ten states. Yes. Got it. Yes. Plus the eight that are full voted home. So eighteen states. Yes. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the next couple steps down are states where, okay, you don't need a specific excuse to vote at home, mm -hmm. but you have to ask every election, every year, you got to send in your form or do whatever it is. That is about 10. This is where my, I have to get this let, let's, locked let's assume, into my head. Let's say yeah. 10. So yep. that is an addition to the 18. Yes. So there are 28 states yeah. where if Oops. No, it must be 15 because there's only 15 in my last category. Okay, so, so therefore yeah. it's about, about 30 uh, 25. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it yeah would probably be about 33. About 33 states mm -hmm. that allow some sort of yes. voting through to me. And I bet New York isn't yes. one of them. New York is in our lowest category. Yes. Uh, I love New York. My, uh, Their voting my, system my dad's is from there. Yeah. Well, the good news is they just passed a bill that mm -hmm. we are waiting on the governor to sign right. that would allow early voting. Uh, they're called. It's called early voting to vote at home um, without an excuse, because yeah. the, the 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 category of states that there is about ten to thirteen mm -hmm. that. Um, and apologies for not. I should have the numbers no, no, on no, top it, of my that, head, that's but yeah. Important. yeah. So, um, New York is one of those states where. You can only even ask to vote at home if you have one of a specific list of reasons. Right. Every one of those states has a different list of reasons, uh, and some are in their constitution, some are in their, uh, are in their bill, in yeah. their laws. Um, but, and the other, the wacky thing about it is that 
all like none of those states have we found. Does anybody actually check? Like you have to say, this is why I'm asking to vote at home, but nobody checks. Right. It's just kind of an administrative thing, and right? You're going to, to make more anyway. friction, right. to make it harder for those. Folks. So in New York, yeah. they did. They waived that and said, OK, anybody during the pandemic and their use of voting at home went from about 2% to about 20%. Even that's and not it very dropped high. back yeah. down. It's not yet. Yeah. But it was a one-time thing. So the great news is the legislature passed a bill that says, yeah, you can early vote. You can vote at home with no excuse necessary. We're waiting on governor, the governor to sign it. Um, and I'm Hachul, afraid, yeah. I was going to say, I'm afraid to pronounce her last Hachul, name yeah. wrong. H-O-C-H-U-L. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to spell it, but not how to say it. Right. Um, so when that happens, that'll be a huge move now, of number of voters into you know, states I that think New don't York, need an excuse. New York having progressive senators and, and really hitting up on Texas yes. and other states about their voting, uh, how they administer the votes yeah. and that sort of stuff. I think they it, are it's strangely a, it, behind the times. It, it, it is sad, but I don't think they have the moral. Of, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I love their senators, mm-hmm. their Congress people that are progressive, yeah. but they don't have the moral authority to talk to the rest of the country yeah. about voting until yeah. they make some changes to make it easier for yeah. their voters to vote. The only reason it doesn't matter is because it's almost a pretty darn blue state yes. that they really don't give a, you know, right. A, a right. and that needs to change yeah. Uh, yeah. in New York. But um, I, I tell you, I find that what you're doing is extremely important. And I, I hope with you and any other organizations that are doing this, that, that they're successful in allowing and uh, in, in increasing our democracy. Yes. Now, um, what's Here's, your, can I tell you something interesting about please it? Do. So it's, you know, it, it used to be Republicans thought it was their thing and then it was Democrats thought it was their right. thing. Here's the truth that we, that numerous like academic studies have proved right. there's no partisan advantage to it. It doesn't matter. It just makes it easier to vote. Period. If people don't care about a particular election, you can send them any number of papers. That's they're not going to. They're not going to send, right. send it back. That's right. Yes. Right now, so I mean, if you yes. make your case, that you want it to make sure that if you that's make right. your case, yeah. the people will vote. Uh, and yes. if they don't care right. about either, they yeah. won't. But at least they had that option and having to find a babysitter, having to find a, a pay for gas to get yeah. to a polling, having to stand up in the cold, having the thunderstorms. Yes. Being able yeah. to get away from right. all of that. Right. The census just, they put out a report every year about voting and mm-hmm. how it's self-reporting. So it's not, technically there's some, there's always some differences right. between the data data, but it's a really important set of numbers that people pay a lot of attention right. to. If you look at the part about people who said they didn't vote right. and the reasons why, over half of them mm-hmm. are ones that would be solved by voting at home. Because it's, I was sick. I had to work. Right. I didn't know where my polling place was. And you add that up and just the things that would just, it it all goes away when you're voting at home. I mean, it it is, it is amazing. Uh, You're doing important work. Thank you. Uh, Now tell me. I love it. Yeah. It's, that's very important work. And you know, the, the, the best thing is as a former leader in the legislature, you actually know the inner workings of how a yeah. whole lot of this yeah. stuff works. So it's great to have that. Yeah. Now, what's yeah. your prospects as far as when we can feel we will have universal vote by mail? I mean, sure. every territory, yeah. every state, That's a great every question. municipality. I, I mean, 
I really believe it's doable in the next 10 years. That would be great. Right. I, the way we are working is we kind of plan it out like in two, four and six year plans mm -hmm. because the legislative cycle is about every two years. Mm -hmm. You know, the odd numbered years are when most legislatures do most of their policy right. work. So we're working now on where are we going to focus on in 2025? Right. Then where do we focus on in 2027? Right. Are there some states we work on in the even numbered years? Sure. But that's the real focus is those is those odd numbered years. And the other thing to think about is when I talked about kind of like in Illinois, mm -hmm. right, where you can do single sign up in those other 10 states where you can do single sign up. Mm -hmm. We also like to we encourage folks to use it as much as possible. We have if you look on our scorecard that mm -hmm. I talked about, there are things that make it easier, right? The curing process, right. the online voter registration, all of that, because the more people do it, the more they like it. Right. And then that's how you end up having states going to full vote at home. That's right. how Oregon did the transition. Right. Is so many people were doing it. They were just like, we. it was a ballot measure to get it passed, but so many people were doing it. I'll tell you the two states that right now who mm -hmm. are not full voted home, that have the highest usage mm -hmm. of voted home, Arizona and Montana. Interesting. Who knew? Right. Um, rural states are very interested. Uh, I like to point out Utah. Utah is fully yeah. voted home. Um, you know, people are like, oh, isn't it just a Democratic thing? No, it's a voter thing. Utah has been doing it successfully for years. In Nebraska, there's about a dozen counties that, that voted home and their turnout, a, a great group called Civic Nebraska right. just put out some research literally about this saying, uh -huh. well, my goodness, if you look at the counties that have voted home versus the other counties, they, their turnout is significantly higher. Now, um, when if we get to some universal uh, level of voter by mm -hmm. home, would we still have day of a uh, day of election right. uh, voting or it seems to me like we could save a lot of money instead of having vote by day is, you yes. know, we've been always talking yeah. about election shouldn't be one day right. because so much can occur on one day That's right. that we just have people yes. throughout the, the election like two period, to three week period until yep. that yes. last day yeah. vote. I mean, the truth is you're always going to have a deadline, right? Mm -hmm. Cause there's always going to no, be a I'm, day. Yeah. There's always the going to be a day, election but, day, but right. that you don't have to yep. walk and ha you don't exactly. have to hire machines to, right. that be set up in yes. many. It seems there's to me a like ton of cost save savings. Yes. Thank you. Uh, there's a great, there's a ton of cost savings. Um, when Colorado did the transition in 2014, there was, there was some studies done and they had significant cost savings because you don't have all the polling places. You don't, you don't have to hire all those people, poll right. workers. Right. And you don't have to invest in, in what you call distributed. I, I'm a software right. guy. Yeah. Distributed yeah. networks right. as, as right. complex as when right. you have many Correct. different rooms with many different That's machines. Exactly right. right. So in, interestingly. You're singing my song. Yeah. I mean, it, it <laughs> seems like if, if people were concerned about cost, democracy yes. and reliability, yes. that should be the answer. Yes. And it seems to me like, I hope that is yes. how you're selling cost, reliability, uh, economy, yes. uh, and yeah. democracy. That should be Small D a democracy. This is the that, foundation of it. That, yes. That, that does it. Yep. Anyway, Agreed. give me a closer yeah. for our audience. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, you talked about accessibility. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had some research come out the other day mm -hmm. uh, that uh, voters with disabilities, mm -hmm. In the states, and all the states in the last right. two years that have increased access to voting at home, right. disabled voters turnout has significantly increased. It stayed flat in the states that didn't. Wow. This is, like I said, it's foundational. It's what you said. It's cost. It's accessibility. Right. It is small d democracy. If, we, if our goal of our democracy is to make it easier for voters 
then. We want, think about how our lives are now. Right. We get our food delivered. We get our groceries. We get food from restaurant. Mm -hmm. We order things online. We track where it is in coming to us. We don't lose packages. That's right. That's what voting at home is. Yeah. You you are the voter. It's voting that, that centers you, the voter. And right now, when that is how we are living our lives otherwise, it's time for us to center voters by allowing them all to vote at home. You are a hell of a spokesperson. <laughs> you're a hell of a spokesperson for National Vote at Home, the National Vote at Home Institute. Thank well, you're the executive director, so you better be. Uh, right? Barbara, thank you so kindly yes. for having been Encantada. on Politics Done Right. Gracias. All right. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead. Number one, subscribe to our channel. And number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. Absolutely. So anyway, folks, um, I hope you like that. Before I, I answer any of the other things, I want to point out to Brother Ledo, because, uh, you know, Brother Ledo has a lot to say. And uh, he likes to let, use the way people who want free stuff as if progressives want free stuff and all that kind of stuff. Let's get a few things straight here. Red states are beggar states. Red states take more from the federal government. Then, uh, and blue states are the ones who give them the money. Okay, so red states are dependent on blue states. Let's go a little bit further here. In fact, Bruce sent me something that I wish I had. Uh, maybe I can get it on the screen for you. Because also, let's take a look at uh, the, the, the red states like to talk a lot about abortion and the sanctity of life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in these red states where abortion many times is sort of illegal, these are the states with the highest number of abortions. So something ain't working. Something ain't working in what you believe in. And let me go ahead and put what brother, uh, brother, brother, are you still here, um, uh, Bruce? This is what Bruce put uh, sent us today. And it said, in effect, that... These states that preach about uh, anti-abortion, etc., in those states, as you see on the screen right now, that is where you have most of the abortions occurring. So here we have the red states that talk about family values or the states like Texas that, that kills people on the border, states that talk about family values and etc., red states have higher level of divorce than blue states. States that talk about getting free stuff and all of that are the states themselves that get more free stuff than anybody else because they are beggar states. Let's get that, let's get that straight. 
So please, uh, to my brothers and welcome sisters, to one of more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host, your host sitting, sitting here. here. To my brothers, sorry about that. To my brothers and sisters out there, both conservatives and progressive alike, remember that red state. Don't let don't let uh, these conservative politicians at any time make you believe family morbidity is worse as well. You're absolutely right, Bruce. Don't let these guys give you the impression that somehow. The, the values in red states, the policies in red states are a panacea. It makes things well. If you judge by lifespan, if you judge by marriage, if you judge by uh, how much money you take from the government or not, if you map all those things, red states are beggar states. They take more out of the federal government than they put in. So smoke that, my dear brother, Mike Cisak. Remember that. Remember that. Okay. Let me go to the messages on the screen right now. We have, para ver, para ver. Oh, whoa, you guys wrote a lot today. Uh, Kevin Mullen is a research and technology subcommittee on investigations and oversight. That's not the one. Egberto here, uh, her info, actually, her, I, I think you, uh, you, you saw what she said. She, she uh, pretty much said that she didn't say that New York didn't have uh, voter voting by mail or that you couldn't vote early or whatever. She said that the restrictions that were applied to New York is that friction that she talks about that makes it more difficult for you to vote if you are, uh, you know, if you're a New Yorker. And that's why I said, uh, you know, New York is, isn't the, the shouldn't be considered the, the that 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 state that has any right to, let's say, talk about Texas, because believe it or not, as we complain in Texas, we may complain in Texas, but it's easier to vote in Texas than it is in New York. I, I, I hate to admit that, but in Texas, they're trying to make it more difficult. But in Texas, we can, for two, a two-week period, we could, have, we could vote at any place in the county. Of course, they're trying to take that away now. We could also have early vote. Texas wasn't a bad place. Uh, the voter suppression that took place in Texas was voter ID, whereas we have a lot of poor minorities in rural areas that it would have undermined. That was the issue. But as far as ease of vote, if you live in Houston, Austin, uh, San Antonio, uh, Waco, all these places, voting was pretty easy. Voting was pretty easy compared to New York, that is, okay? Uh, let's continue here. As one of the only few engineers in Congress, I've worked many years to ensure scientific standards are upheld regardless of who sits in the White House. That's Representative Tonko. Thank you for that one. Uh, what else we got here? We got from Maywood says, progressives don't want free stuff or giveaways. They want investments that will improve society, life, business, the economy, and the country at large, the better good of commons. And that's all. And that is exactly right. But you see, remember what uh, the Republican politicians have done to the people who follow them. They have reduced their, their thinking, their, their critical thinking process because they don't understand that in order for you to get a better population, you have to invest in that population, right? But believe it or not, they know what they're doing. They don't want an educated population. They want a population that they can control, that they can go ahead and say, oh, Trump uh, won the election, and they fall in line and believe the lies, right? That is what they believe in. So what we have to do as, uh, is make sure that they don't get away with it. 
That is our goal, all right? We have to be there to protect those right-wingers that have been snowed by their own people. Uh, Egberto, easier you have weeks to early vote. How much easier do you... No, again, I just said it, right, Eric, that in Texas, it's a lot easier to vote than in, uh, in New York. However, we are trying to make it more difficult in Texas because we're trying to stop uh, uh, drive-through voting and all of that, that Hidalgo and, uh, and uh, our voter guy put instituted, which made voting very easy. But I, I, I am with Barbara uh, Smith-Warner, who wants us to have at-home voting. At-home voting makes a hell of a lot more sense. Okay, whoops, let, let me take my TikTok off. There we go. Egberto Willis, New York vote from home qualifications. Qualification to vote by absentee ballot, absent from your county, or if a resident of New York absent from the five boroughs, an election day, unable to appear at the polls due to temporary or permanent illness or disability, unable to appear because you are the primary caregiver of one or more individuals who are ill or physically disabled, a resident or patient of a Veterans Health Administration hospital, in jail or prison for any reason other than a felony conviction. This includes anyone who is awaiting grand jury action, awaiting trial or service. You see, Abrid, and that's why I said New York ain't the template, because that's too difficult. That is a friction she speaks about. Too much, too many hoops to jump through to decide if you are eligible to vote early. I mean, voting early is so easy. You can do your research and then just vote when you want to, right? All right, let's see. Eric Hayes says, uh, no, nah, let's go to, um, Michael Rodden says, we also have banking at home and there's next to, there's next to no fraud. Ah, I love that you pointed that out. When you go mess with the man's money, it won't be allowed. All we have to do is make sure that voting is that way. You can't, you can not rip off Bank of America easily when you are depositing a check from home. When you are doing all these different things from home with banking at home, right? I don't. I can't tell you the last time I went to a bank. When I get a check, I take a picture of it and it's deposited, right? They don't worry about fraud there. You know why? Because they take it seriously. We. As a society, I'm talking about the, 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 the plutocrats. They want voting to seems, they want they don't want voting secure. They want to be able to have ah, outs, if you will. All right, so good point, Michael Rudnan. Uh, disable isn't laziness. Thank you for correcting that, Bridge MCP. Lee Grant says, it's hard to trust progressives about voting and democracy. Why? The people, everybody who has been found to have cheated in the voting in 2022 in 2020 and 2018 were all Republicans. Smoke that. They didn't find Democrats cheating. They found Republicans cheating at voting twice for Trump, etc. And you know who won the bet? Fetterman beat uh, uh, Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick had to pay $25,000 because the, the voter fraud we found after he offered a, he offered a, a, a you know, Dan Patrick, the Texas uh, uh, general, the, the, the Texas uh, governor, not governor, but uh, assistant governor. What is it called? You know what I mean? He offered 25000 actually a million dollars, right, for anybody who discovered progressive voter fraud. They couldn't found, find it, so he had to pay up. But guess what they found? A lot of Republican voters who were committing 
voter fraud. How comes you don't hear that on Fox News? But that's that's the case. You can look it up anytime you want. All right, we've got Gretchen Bradfield. Welcome to Politics Done Right. And we don't have to be intimidated by our so-called election monitors with rifle. No, we don't, because they're going straight to jail if they screw up. All right, Egberto, red states would put the federal funding into infrastructure investment to improve the lives of their people. I'd be happy for them, but that's not what they do. No, they steal the money. Look at even Brett Favre decided to just go build a stadium for his daughter, right, with, with your tax dollars. Don't forget what Brett Favre did. All right, let's let's continue here. Para ver, para ver. Eric says family morbidity is doing everything by home and laying around doing nothing. Oh Lord. Uh, Bridge MCP says if blue states stop giving the red states, their legislators will have to stop lying where the money is coming from. They vote no. They but you see the problem is we are not a democracy. So you have more. You have a, a, a little bit more uh, states control. Even though there are a lot more people in blue states, there are. Uh, the two-senator rule that covers America makes the red states have greater representation than blue states. So, in effect, they rip the blue states off, right? Mike Cisak, that's it. That's why blacks keep voting for Democrats, even though Democrats are the reason for being in poverty. I think you better do your research when it comes to black folk, Mike Cisak. It's easy to make black folks the, the, the whipping dog on poverty. There are a hell of a more, a hell of a bigger amount, much larger. There are more white people in poverty than there are blacks in this country. Okay, now if you want to talk about the uh, the percentage of blacks in this country on that that are poor, it is a higher percentage, and the reason it is higher, there are a lot of historical reasons. But don't fool yourself. There are a hell of a lot more white people that are poor. And, you know, most a lot of them live, guess where, in rural areas. And they're continuing to support people who screw them. And, you know, like I told my audience this morning at KPFT, it's a shame that so many people suffer from uh, from the uh, syndrome, Stockholm syndrome. The same people that are hurting you are the people that somehow you continue to elect. Shame, but what can I say? Egberto, I often say that to Republicans, cruelty is the point. If Republicans can get their conservative base kicking down on scapegoating minority groups, they make them feel better about themselves and their lot and their lot in life. Yeah, because you know they're poor. Uh, you know, if you look at the Trump voter, he's poor. He's not very intelligent. But again, uh, what happens is they tell him, "Hey, but you're not as bad off as as those guys." Uh, they tell him he's not as bad off as a poor black person, but then they're telling him that all those black folks that are doing fine, the engineers, the lawyers, the doctors, they're, the reason why you can't be that is because those black folks are taking away your birthright. It's, a, it's amazing the circular uh, fool that they make out of the people who support them. New York State is four times as stringent in your voting laws than any southern state. Again, I can't argue with that, Mike Cisek. You're right about that. Because, again, in Texas, it's a lot easier to vote than it is in New York. All right. Let's see. Daniel Lado says, uh, handicapped mental. I'm not going there. Uh, let's see. Eric Hayes says, news viewership has lowered. Egberto Willis, Fox News, viewership has lowered. Yes, it has. Uh, Daniel Lado says, oh, my God, I get it. Vote for home is a capitalist scheme. Without a private vote, the corporatocracy can buy elections. Brilliant plan, Egberto. You're really working for the very thing you denounce. Oh, my God. But I read that, Daniel, because I think most people that are listening on the podcast will actually get to understand 
uh, your way of thinking. All right, let's talk about the next subject. And the next subject has to do with, and let me bring it up on my screen, CNBC anchor uh, accuses the UAW leader of class warfare. Can you believe that? Let's go ahead and talk about that article. Because when I saw that article, I almost, I, I don't want to use that word when I said, oh, I almost puked. But it's true. I almost puked. Because how dare this guy? How dare this guy? Love your new expression of, Egberto, smoke that. Ha, 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 ha. All right. Check this out. You like that one, Bridge? Okay, I'm going to use it more often. Uh, then it also says, if you really believe that cruelty is the point, you're saying it is the goal. You believe that Republicans exist simply to be cruel. You think that is my goal? Actually, uh, there. You, if you take a look at the words that come out of Republicans' mouth, yeah, it seems like they're they're on a they're on a they are on a path to, or, or rather they are in a game to see who can be the most cruel. But anyhow, labor advocates said Thursday that United Auto Workers President Sean Fain is clearly doing something right after CNBC anchor Jim Cramer unleashed a diatribe for a new contract and his stark assessment of the corporate greed that's left union members struggling to make ends meet. Kramer has spoken multiple times on CNBC in recent days about the ongoing negotiations between the UAW and the big three automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, and has called Fain frightening for advocating for a wage increase to reflect the record profits the companies have reported in recent years. Fain has been talking about capitalism, and the nature of capitalism and how it's really hurt workers, said Kramer, who compared him to influential former UAW and civil rights activist Walter Ruthier as if it's a bad thing, noted one journalist. It's a good thing. Continuing, Fain, who was elected to lead the union earlier this year, announced members' demands earlier this week in a speech broadcast on Facebook Live highlighting the need for a significant pay raise to make up for years of concessions by the union following the Great Recession, the rising costs of living and inflation, and to match pay increases enjoyed by the CEOs of the Big Three. Big Three CEOs saw their pay spike 40% on average over the last four years, said Fain. We know our members are worth the same and more. Of course, they're the ones who are doing the work. They're the ones who are producing. They're the ones where the efficiencies are coming from. Ahead of the September 14 deadline, after which the UAW could go on strike, the union is demanding an immediate 20% pay raise, followed by an additional 5% each of the years for four-year contract. According to the union, most new workers start out at $16 per hour, but if cost of living increases had been maintained since the Great Recession, the starting wage would have been $28.68 or about $21,000 more per year. The union is also calling for a return of the defined benefit pension, which could give retired workers a set money, amount of money each month. The right to strike if a company threatens to close a plant, more paid time off, Restored costs of living allowances increases and other provisions, and they should get it all because that profit that's going into the coffers of the company's shareholders and the, and, the, and the executives doesn't belong there. It's the workers who did it, not the executives, not the shareholders sitting drinking tea at their pools. All right. Fain also spoke about the potential to shift a 
32-hour work week to allow workers to spend more time with their families. As I said, I'm, you've heard me preach this a lot of time. We shouldn't fear AI. We shouldn't fear robotization. Why? Because robotization and AI is a creating efficiencies. Those efficiencies should not go towards the executives. Those efficiencies should go towards a, a shorter work week, which is what they're asking for. 32-hour work week to allow workers to spend more time with the families. And you would think Republicans would like that family values, right? We value families. We value the nuclear family with more time. But you know, that's not, that has never really been their stance, right? Our members are working 60, 70, or even 80 hours a week just to make ends meet. That's not living, Fain said. We have to work longer and harder to maintain the same standard of living. That means missing little league games, family reunions. That's barely surviving, and it needs to stop. There, that's. Let's <laughs> check this out. Kramer took issue with Fain's suggestion that big three shareholders and CEOs have been overly rewarded and scoffed at the notion that shareholders are fat cats. That's class warfare, and it's very shocking to hear. Class warfare, said Kramer. Yeah, it's class warfare. And Kramer's class is screwing us all. All right? If in his address early this week, Fain said that automakers can easily afford to substantially increase worker wages. The companies have, uh, pay, uh, have made a quarter of a trillion dollars in North American profits over the past 10 years and reported a combined $21 billion in profits in the first half of this year. Record profits mean record contracts, said Fain. They've been competitive on our backs, and it's time they pay up. Who wants to defend Kramer? Who wants to defend the plutocracy? Who wants to tell the auto worker, nah, that's enough? But for the, for the, uh, for the CEO who got a 40% raise, who gets millions of dollars for sitting in an office on the top of a skyscraper? Who wants to tell the workers who are actually building the cars that they don't deserve it? Who wants to do that? Who wants to do that? Okay? Who wants to do that? Let's see what we got here. Umberto Eco, describing the fascist playbook. The enemy is both weak and strong. The followers must be convinced that they are they can overwhelm the enemies. Thus, by a continuous shifting of rhetorical focus, the enemies are at the same time too strong and too weak. And that is what we have to be cognizant of. All right? That is what we got to be cognizant of. All right, Daniel says, uh, you are sadly deluded then. The goal is always power for both sides. Of course. Uh, Egberto, homeless flock to California due to giveaways. Oh, really now? I, I don't, anyway, I'm not going to justify that with any more coverage on that particular statement. All right, we also have here, uh, para ver, para ver, para ver, we have Daniel Adosa replying to Eric Hayes, AI to a progressive is a good thing. It will usher an era of guaranteed income and unleash uh, humanity, humanity from an existence of hard work. Why do we need hard work if we did a lot of hard work to create AI? Why don't we want to just spend time with our families? Go and enjoy the things that nature have to offer. Why do we have to be enslaved in a system if we've created technologies to do the work? If we can create robots to do the work, we can go down to a 20-hour week. What's wrong with that? You see what I talk about, slave mentality? The, the executive can take a vacation whenever he wants. The executive can do as they please. They can go to 
two hour, three hour lunches, drinking and eating caviar and drinking champagne. Why can't the average worker have that as well? Why? And that's the point. Enslaved mentality. If we can get away from the Powell memo where people's minds are enslaved, we would be doing just fine. Egberto, you're justified in making people lazy. No, people are not made lazy. If we create a technology that allows people to work for a corporation less, that's a good thing. It means we can do other things. It's only you who would look at that as being lazy. I would stay home. I would plant a garden. I would do a whole lot of, well, you know, I'm, I'm home doing this, but I would do so. There are so many other things we can do if we didn't have to go serve corp corporate America, right, to make a living. And now we've created AI. The Americans have invested in AI. Of course, in less than two decades, when AI takes over half the jobs, whether the people thrive or starve will be determined largely by who owns the machines. As this is going to happen uh, uh, rather quickly, we could be taking about universal dividends due to, due to AI now before the problem gets out of hands. Exactly, Radnin. Universal dividend is that AI is our composite knowledge. It, the AI that knowledge has is your knowledge, uh, uh, Bridge MCP's knowledge, Michael Rudnin's knowledge, Daniel Ledo's knowledge, Lee Grant's knowledge. All of AI comprises all the knowledge of us all. We cannot allow a few to control that. Egberto, people given things will occupy their time with more electronics time, not less. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Again, I repeat, you think a freaking plumber can remotely fix a sink? No, he can't. But we, nobody's asking that. We're just saying the plumber now will only work probably 20 hours a week because he will now have AI tools that make the plumbing job that much easier. Instead of having to snake through a house with a snake, he'll put a robot into the hole. The robot will find the problem. He put another robot into the hole. The robot will go ahead and fix the hole. All right, Daniel Ledo says, unintended consequences born from a fundamental nature of man is not given one thought by progressive, a nature that is well known if you care to look, a nature we all understand on a deep level, take away work from humanity and not end well. Nobody's talking about taking away work. We're talking about taking away work from the master. You take away work from the master. If you are home, I know a lot of people who work at home and, that, and, and they set their hours. They decide what to do. There's nothing wrong with that. This thing about work as how you have been programmed to believe so that you will continue to, uh, to support the slave master. My brother Ledo, you're, you have been inculcated in a mindset of a slave. And that's what they want. They want you to remain as you are in your mindset right now, enslaved. And if we can unenslave your mind, you can see things a lot better. And we have examples. We have examples. Uh, Gretchen uh, Bradfield says the only way to work a 20-hour week would be to double the wages. And that would be only even... Yes, agreed. 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 And, and again, if you have robots doing half the work, robots don't get paid. So yes, a 20-hour week where we get double the pay is what I'm talking about, Gretchen Bradfield. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dropping pay. I'm talking about increasing pay and having a robot that doesn't have a time schedule. A robot doesn't have uh, to work eight hours and take off to rest and all of that. He can work continuously. 
right? Because it's a robot, it's a machine. But, you know, we have to take this bull by the horns now to let folks know we won't allow the plutocrats to control this technology and they continue to get all the spoils. They continue to enrich themselves from what we create, right? Anyway, the second subject, most Americans want an increase in Social Security. CN, uh, whoop, that's not the, this is the article here now. Uh, is this the article here? Oh, uh, where is my Social Security article? All right, I got to get to my Social Security article. So let me go ahead and do something. Take this off the screen as I search. And then we'll go ahead and get to the Social Security. I want to get to the Social Security story. I, I know I had it. Uh, bear with me a few a few seconds, guys. I want to get to our Social Security story. We must get to our Social Security. So, uh-oh, kittens are going crazy. I hear you, brother. I hear you. But uh, take care of your kittens. They are your they are your kids, right? Uh, let's see here. I'm going to get you right now the Social Security story that I want you guys taking a look at. Uh, and, and let's see, Social Security, 82%. Here we go. Here's a, here's a story. It says 82% of voters, all right? 82% of voters want Social Security increased. And how do you pay for it? You pay for it with the money from the people who've been stealing from us all along. The vast majority of U.S. workers across the political spectrum don't support Republican proposals to gut Social Security benefits for Americans under age 50, according to the polling results published Tuesday by the progressive think tank Data for Progress. The survey conducted Friday and Saturday showed 82% of all likely voters somewhat or strongly oppose policies that would mean Americans currently under 50 would receive fewer Social Security benefits when they retire than those who receive Social Security benefits today. Opposition was relatively consistent across parties. 84% of Democrats, 83% of Republicans, and 80% of, of independents or third-party voters. The figures were also roughly the same regardless of age, gender, and education level. In other words, a super majority of voters uh, want to ensure that that's not going to occur, that we're not going to cut Social Security for those that are 50 and, and below. Back in January 2020, then-President Donald Trump, who is currently the front-runner for the GOP's 2024 nomination, despite his various legal issues and the argument that he is constitutionally disqualified from holding office against, said that programs like Social Security are the easiest of all things to cut. Yeah, that's what your president said, your former president said. Republicans in that U.S. House of Representatives have also set their sights on the program and are currently fighting for funding cuts to the Social Security Administration that Julie Tippins, Legislative Director of the American Federation of Government Employees, recently warned would devastate the agency's ability to serve the American public. Earlier this year, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced plans to establish a commission to examine ways to cut Social Security, and the 175-member Republican Study Committee proposed raising the program's full retirement age to 69. In other words, just give them a couple, two more years to your death. Two more years to your death. That's all. That's all. Okay, Michael Renzi, Egberto, plumbers are one of the jobs that are unlikely to be automated due to the cramped spaces involved in most of the jobs. However, the polling uh, indicates plumbers are worried about losing their jobs. Actually, they don't need to worry, right? Because again, uh, while you say that, Rodin, I, be I, I beg to disagree. 
on that plumber's jobs are not in jeopardy. I think plumber's job, like any other job, is in jeopardy because I don't think folks have understood the degree to which automation can occur, even in plumbing. Because like I said, and I don't know if you heard me earlier, let's say you are in a house and there's a blockage somewhere in the system. You put, you just simply put a robot into the pipeline. The robot goes in and does its job. You don't need to have the snake anymore. The robot goes in and does its work. And then he finds the clog, and then you put another robot in there that goes ahead and say, okay, do we need to extract this pipe? Do we need to cut this pipe and shred it, bring it out, and add another little piece of pipe in there? All of that can be done by robots today. We have the technology to do that today. So when it comes to, let's say, fixing a faucet or something like that you know, in your home, right now it seems intricate that you need a human being to do it, but eventually uh, you will get robots that are just as agile, if not more agile than a human being, that will look at it and be programmed to do it. After all, they're building cars right now in all kinds of facets. So um, I think every single job in America, every single job from doctors to lawyers, every job in America is at risk of AI and robotics. AI plus robotics is 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 uh, it's what's going to give us two one of two options: where the plutocrats are going to keep everybody as indentured servants, or we as a society are going to create the laws necessary to say, well, we're going to go down to a twenty-hour week, or we'll go to a ten-hour week, or we'll go to alternate weeks, or something, or that. People work half time, maybe they work six months and all six months. I don't know. We are, as a society, going to have to decide that. But when AI and robotics are in full vogue, that is exactly what we want. And, you know, uh, Daniel Edo does have a, um, uh, uh, Daniel Edo does have a point on one thing that I think it's important to point out. And that is we need to maintain cert- a certain level of human skills. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we need to ensure that there are, in fact, manual plumbers. There are, in fact, folks that can do things manually. I, I don't have any doubt that we will remain having that because those are the folks that teach the robots how things are going to be done. Eventually, AI would figure out how to do things more efficiently as well. But altogether, what we will have entirely is a hybrid of human beings, robotics, and artificial intelligence. And the idea is how are we going to symbiotically put all those things together to create a society where not that that doesn't serve the plutocrats, but that serve us all. That's the magic. Egberto, the AI progressive neo-Ludite. No, no, no. Actually, by the way, folks, I'm actually doing a lot of stuff with AI right now. In fact, a lot of the TikToks that I'm putting out right now is actually done by AI. I have a tool that I use and it helps me take my cuts and I'm going to start advertising it as, as soon as I start using it to see if I can bring in a source of income by uh, encouraging people to use this AI tool. But I want to be more proficient in it before I start that. So no, I, I'm very apt in AI. In fact, I've gotten AI to write blogs. I don't use AI to write my blogs, but I've gotten it to write blogs to test how it sounds relative to me. And the truth of the matter, if I must say myself, I, am, I think I'm a much better writer than what AI has done so far. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, Eric Hayes, that's what I was thinking about. You're correct. Daniel Edo says, I don't think Egberto has a healthy skepticism of AI. Uh, from what he is saying, he doesn't seem to be concerned. I am not very concerned if we pass laws, Ledo. I, I think, but but you do, brother Ledo. Uh, your, your statement on work does have some merit with regards to not losing skills. 
Okay? I give you that. I give you that. And I'm saying all of these things have to be placed in a framework as we do this. Just like when new technologies came about, when the car took over the horse, right? When automatic bakeries took over single oven bakers, all those kinds of things. We have to take all of that into account. So no, I, I it's not a skeptic. I don't work on skepticism. I work on we control it as a society. We control it. We can do it. I've, uh, Michael says, I'm extremely concerned at the financial stability of humanity as gener generative AI becomes better at creating jobs that humans currently dominate. And what, again, like I said, laws, laws, laws. But I got to get out of here. It's 359. I didn't realize. Folks, please support the program. You can support the program by going to politicsdoneright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. I'm going to put that into the feed right now. Politicsdoneright.com slash support. We can use your support in any way that you find that you can. Also, please remember, let's say these are thinking machines a little different than a car. Yes, it is. Even the creators are worried. I Look. Uh, uh, it's not the creators who are worried. Um, uh, the creators are not worried. It's the people who are selling what the creators have created. Those guys that you saw in 60 Minutes aren't the one who are programming the algorithms, okay? Remember that. Um, let's go ahead and do, sign up for Ask Egberto Anything. I'd love to see a lot of you there. Uh, here's the link to sign up for Ask Egberto Anything. There's a link to sign up. Please go ahead and do that now. Uh, sign up at Ask Egberto Anything. It asks politicsdoneright.com slash ask Egberto. politicsdoneright.com slash ask Egberto. Uh, so there we go. Oh my God, educate yourself. You sound like a fool. Well, thank you for your, thank you very much for your comment about me being a fool. Actually, my friend, I wrote quite a bit on, uh, I think you should look at some of my articles at Common Dream. I, I did write on some of this stuff. Thank you so kindly. But anyhow, um, I don't expect you to change your opinion of me. But anyhow, anyway, folks, my name is Egberto Willis, Bridge MCP says thanks. Have a good week and all. Thank you so kindly for being here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Oh. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.